Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Why I'm skeptical, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 282. It's really odd when the news media says something is going to happen, and then it does. I say odd because news broadcasters are famous for their hyperbole, like Manhattan being underwater by the year 2015, or oil running out by 1992. So when they get one right, it's either because broken clocks are right twice a day or because someone is making sure that they're right. The U.S. media told us months ago that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. This wasn't just one news source. It was pretty much all of them. They were all singing from the same song sheet like in a well-rehearsed play. Then, shortly after the Winter Olympics, Russia invaded Ukraine. Right afterwards, we saw the news media singing from the same song sheet again. Though this time, not a prediction, but action. They've all begun talking about how unfair everything is for Ukraine, with hints at U.S. involvement. We've all seen this before. I get wary whenever I hear the news media singing from the same song sheet. In 2003, we were told that we needed to invade Iraq because the terrorists were there. In 2008, we were told that we needed to bail out all the banks because otherwise we would have financial chaos. In 2020, we were told that we needed to lock down everyone because otherwise huge numbers of people would die. In each, the public consented because of the seeming consensus of opinion from all corners. Looking back, it's really odd that all three of these things were so unanimously supported by both parties and the media with almost a resigned inevitability from all involved. Given the murky outcomes, their confidence in these actions was at best misplaced and at worst completely manipulated. Our record when it comes to these unanimously supported measures is terrible. The fact that it looks to be happening again makes me very skeptical of the current narrative. If we look at the major issues of the day before the whole Ukraine thing, we see a pattern. COVID is the obvious issue. Every government, including Canada, is starting to ease on the lockdowns. Some are slower than others, but there's a clear pattern of go governments going in one direction. There's no talk of anyone going into harsher lockdowns. Quietly, everything seems to be winding down in terms of COVID restrictions, though any flare-up can easily be blamed on or justified by the war. Inflation and the economy were the other two huge issues. Notice how narrative has shifted from inflation in general to gas prices in particular. They seem to be catching up more than anything, but it's being, now being blamed on the war in the Ukraine. 10-year U.S. Treasuries hit 2% before the conflict. This has come down to 1.7% after as dollar, U.S. dollar demand has gone up. Inflation looks to have a bit of a respite during the dollar resurgence, but anything hurting the dollar going forward can be blamed on the war. Everything seems to be lining up to make the war a scapegoat going forward, and in a perverse way, this makes sense. The war can justify all sorts of things, like prices going up, some form of price controls, an economic slowdown, or even sacrifices demanded of us. Lots of people are saying that there's no way the U.S. will get involved in the Ukraine. I'm skeptical of this view because we all said the same things in 2003, 2008, and 2020. I don't think it'll be long until the war will be used as a scapegoat for everything bad that's going to happen. And for that, I believe the U.S. will get involved. So I wrote this piece sort of like as a reflection on what the heck's going on in the Ukraine and... Um, 
yeah, let's just say I'm very, very skeptical of the narrative. And whenever they're all in agreement about something, uh, something is wrong, right? Uh, whenever you see like a, like the betting line on a uh, on a football game or something, and it looks really off, it's because somebody knows something, and uh, and that's being priced into the market. And I I feel that way whenever I see like everyone is, you know, singing from the same song sheet here. So based on that, I think you know there there's an agenda. Somebody's pulling the tr uh, strings, and we're gonna have some manufacturer consent or something. But yeah, it's no good. I, I think something something uh, something doesn't smell right, and uh, you know we should be watching out. Chris Belcher has an implementation of CoinSwap called Teleport. The idea is pretty simple. Two people can spot, swap their UTXOs, which have no correlation to each other, and breaks any chain analysis. Currently, the protocol uses pay-to-witness script hash addresses, which are relatively rare, so there isn't that much of an anonymity set to hide behind. But it will be interesting to see if this gets ported to Taproot. Given that Taproot doesn't have the distinctions that Segwit V0 has of single and multi-key locks, this should make for a larger anonymity set going forward. Uh, so it's uh, it's this thing called coin swap where you swap two coins and you know they, they have no correlation to each other and you get one UTXO, the other person gets that UTXO. So you essentially inherit the other person's UTXO history and that way it, it becomes this uh, sort of unlinkable thing. Um, it's a very cool concept and I, I'm glad that there's an implementation. I just wish it was on Taproot. <laughs> and uh, that way we can all sort of like use it going forward. Chris Stewart has posted on how you can do subscription payments using DLCs. The mechanism here is very clever in that it uses adapter signatures to limit how much the subscription service can take out of a UTXO. The UTXO can be moved away by the owner at any time and is intended to fund the subscription. Although I hate subscription services with a passion, I have to admit that this is a great way to adapt Bitcoin to the current economy of subscription payments. I hope they make this a reality with subscription donations a la Patreon soon. So. Uh, subscription payments are something that Bitcoin has traditionally not been very good at, but this is a very clever way to do it using a DLC. Essentially, uh, you know, you have a discrete lock contract and you create an adapter signature that has um, in it like a, a, a you know, a, a restriction on the amount that the person withdrawing can get. So based on that, you, you, uh, you know, they're, they're able to take that amount. And then, you know, if you don't want the service anymore, you can move the UTXO away uh, entirely and you can do it. So um, interesting idea, pretty cool. And yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Reckless Satoshi has created a non-KYC fiat to Bitcoin exchange called RoboSats. It's essentially a peer-to-peer -peer trading platform that uses fidelity bonds to enable a trust-minimized exchange. There's still some amount of adjudication that needs to take place if there's dispute about the fiat transfer, but it's about as good as it's going to get given that fiat is one side of the equation. I really like the fact that this is all open source and it will be a great resource in places that ban Bitcoin, which I suspect will happen somewhere in the next 10 years. So um, over the next 10 years, I expect some places to ban Bitcoin. Um, I think they're, you know, they, they had bills, uh, you know, in various places to, um, 
propose this, but th this is how you fight back. You you have a completely decentralized thing. Um, I I mean th this requires adjudication and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of an interesting and cool concept, uh, which I hope uh, gets developed more. Lightning. Let's talk about Lightning. Uh, Voltage gives good advice on failing Lightning payments. They give practical advice about opening channels with better connected nodes, making sure those nodes are up and having more channels open in general. Having Lightning payments fail is one of the big drawbacks of Lightning, and it's for that reason that I have several Lightning Network wallets for commerce. It would be nice if such payments were more reliable. The nice thing is improvement for any one node benefits everyone else connected to that node. So if you have failing lightning payments, it's because of a variety of reasons. Uh, but you want to be connected to very well-connected nodes and make sure that they're reliable and so on. Um, the idea is that if you were more discerning about that, then the unreliable nodes would have nobody open channels with them and therefore like they would not be very profitable. So um, at an individual level, having these incentives causes everyone to sort of up their game on reliability and channel connectedness. So I think for that reason, it's important that people start um, you know, moving towards a more profit-driven lightning node routing. Um, and that, that would be amazing if that did happen. Kevin Rook explains what the different payment levels of Bitcoin are and what layer is appropriate for each. The idea is that there are very low payments like subpenny, which fiat systems can serve, as well as very high payments like over $20 million. What's remarkable about Bitcoin is that it can serve a much larger range of payments. Still, the vast majority of payments, as he points out, are in the middle payment level where many merchants are still paying 3% in credit card fees. From a payment perspective, this is the sweet spot for Lightning to go after. So there's uh, really, really cheap transactions, so cheap that credit cards can't handle them. And there are really, really expensive transactions, so expensive that credit cards can't handle them. So. In between, uh, and credit card companies are smart. They want to handle that sweet spot where a lot of people do a lot of transactions, but you know, and will pay three percent, uh, you know, more than that, and nobody wants to pay that or take the risk or whatever. So um, it ends up being that there, there's a the spot that the uh, credit cards are in is exactly what Lightning needs to go after, uh, and. You know, using the we're going to be less than 3% is the key way to do that. Stephen Ellis publishes a way to get a Lightning node going profitably. There have been a lot of people running Lightning nodes uh, for utility or experimentation, but the network long term needs to be run for profitability, and this is an excellent step towards that. His node gets a 1.44% APR on his coins, which is pretty decent given that he has the custody of the coins. He has great advice on choosing which nodes to open channels with and sources of inbound liquidity. I hope people will be able to make a living this way eventually so that the network becomes more robust. So I, I talked about this a couple of stories ago, but the idea is that you need more people that are driven by profit. This is how the incentives on the Lightning Network are. Um, and the more they are uh, towards that, the better connected Lightning Network is going to be. And you know the less reliable nodes will have no one connecting to them. 
and the more reliable nodes will have more connected to them and so on. So the payment reliability relies on people uh, sort of going after this uh, profitability use case. And yeah, and that's uh, that's what Steven's sort of helping set up. So that's a, that's a very good thing. A new paper proposes a way to route payments that preserve privacy. The paper uses something called light PIR, a routing method that will take a more circuitous route than the algorithms that minimize fees. We've always known that Lightning has a lot of potential for privacy, but the network isn't necessarily optimized for that sort of thing yet. And implementations of privacy tech on this layer will become a big part of the network. I honestly wonder how much such things will be used, especially compared to layer one. So there is layer two privacy available and you need to essentially route in a way that makes it very difficult for people to trace. Um, and that means uh, taking longer hops uh, and so on. So people in the middle don't necessarily get that much information. So uh, that that's that's the real question. In layer one, you do have some level of privacy with coin joins and stuff, but only a very small fraction use them. How many people are going to use it in layer two? That's what I'm really curious about. Economics, engineering, etc. Alex Gladstein has a thoughtful long read on how fiat money incentivizes war. As usual, the incentives get terribly skewed because of fiat money, including all the costs for war. As Alex explains, any democracy with sound money would mean the citizens bear the costs of war, but fiat money can obscure this through debt. A debt is a convenient mechanism for massive expenses of war and results in a lot more unnecessary escalation. His piece is worth reading in full. So there is this very interesting connection between war and fiat money. And in his piece, he talks about democracy as well. But uh, fiat money essentially makes it so that the government doesn't bear the cost of war and neither do the citizens. So. Um, you know, the, the costs are always paid later through essentially credit. Um, and that sort of skews all of the incentives because, uh, you know, you make war out to be the most important thing ever. And then people will, of course, sacrifice whatever things in the future because they're not going to feel it at that point. And like if, if they're going to die, then that doesn't matter. So um, it's a it's a. It's one of the downsides of credit, uh, and that this is one of the things that you know Bitcoin essentially fixes. So go go read that. It's a it's a good piece. Maxbit has more details on the impervious AI browser set to launch at Bitcoin 2022. Among other things, they're supposed to have video, audio, and text content available without ads, and instead relying on direct monetization through the Lightning Network. There are some intriguing videos that show some pretty nice features. The browser may very well be the killer app for the web we've always wanted. So it is a browser uh, that is uh, basically built kind of on, uh, with lightning, like very native to it. Uh, that means you can do videos and things like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's a direct transfer and you still have this ability to um, connect in a way uh, to pay people. Um, so, you know, having that is going to be very intriguing and I look forward to seeing how it all works. Tom's Hardware has more details on Intel's new miner, the BMZ2. It looks like it's going to get 135 terahertz per second. 
or terahashes per second, beating the S19's 110 terahashes per second, while being about half the price. If these numbers are accurate, this is going to be a hot item for a long time. I wonder what kind of volume they'll be able to ship, given, especially given how hard it is to procure chips these days. I love that there's more competition and I hope they do well. So um, the specs on this thing are fantastic. Although who knows, by the time it's released, uh, um, Bitmain or what's, uh, or uh, MicroBT might have better miners than what, what they're able to offer. But 135 terahashes per second, that's, um, that's very profitable right now on the network. And they're offering it for like half the price to, I guess, get some entry into the market. Uh, of course, they're not shipping yet, so that, that might be another part. But that, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, the, there's been a huge gap in the mining market in terms of uh, profitability. Uh, usually, you know, manufacturing catches up with that profitability to eliminate that profit margin. But that hasn't happened due to China and a bunch of other things. So it'll be interesting to watch to see if this is what finally closes that gap. And it's my opinion that that's when price tends to go up is that as that gap is closing. Tomer Strolite argues that Bitcoin has significant brand equity. The article examines what brand equity is and why Coca-Cola has been dethroned from that perspective in that last 20 years. His argument is that code is what gives brand equity since code is what makes people's lives more convenient in some way. I would add that there's a network effect to all the companies that he mentions and that Bitcoin has an even stronger network effect due to it becoming the shelling point for money. Um, so uh, he talks about uh, things in terms of brand, uh, which is another way of saying sort of like mindshare. Um, and it's interesting because tech companies have overcome Coca-Cola, uh, probably in part because they're so prevalent in our lives and uh, they, they have ways to sort of hack into our brain that Coca-Cola didn't really have. So, um, but that said, you know, there's network effects to a lot of that stuff. Uh, certainly for Facebook, um, you know, like you, you need uh, um, uh, network effects in order for that business to exist. Uh, but even for Google, Apple, and many others, uh, you know, they kind of mean something culturally now. Uh, and that's what that whole brand thing is. Um, so, yeah. Any, anyway, it's, it's a cool article. And thinking of Bitcoin in that sense, I think, will be useful going forward. Here's a nice guy to buying anonymously on Amazon using Bitcoin. Essentially, you can... Use Bitcoin to buy something anonymously. You don't have to register anything. And as long as you pick it up from a lockbox, uh, Amazon locker or something like that, you can essentially buy anonymously from Amazon. So very, very good idea. Um, and the guide's good. Lugano made Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, don't get too excited, though, because they also made Tether legal tender and a Citicoin a legal tender. Uh, yeah, it, it's... Uh, why, why can't these jurisdictions like kind of learn uh btc policy institute makes an argument for why btc doesn't help russia um so that's the argument that they're giving i don't know if i necessarily completely agree with it but you know well uh, it's good that they put out papers like that another week another centralized altcoin proves how centralized it is and another and another and they're all about ethereum and how terrible they are and how uh, how centralized it is uh and they're cutting off like russian citizens from certain things and so on 
that's not like complete evidence that this is completely centralized. I don't know what is. All right, some events. I am going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through 8th, and Oslo Freedom Forum uh, in Oslo, Norway, May 23rd through 25th. I'll be doing the Programming Blockchain Seminar in Miami, April 4th and 5th. Uh, some podcasts. I didn't record a podcast this week uh, due to being in London for the Advancing Bitcoin Conference, but here's my appearance on Go See Create, where I talked about Bitcoin to a Christian audience. I read through last week's newsletter and I was on a clip show for the reformed financial advisor. Um, here's the latest book, which is out now, Bitcoin and the American Dream. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin and Programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is the sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-state collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained. Dot com. Fiat the Lenda Est. This song is done.